This room has a lot of memories in it. Uh, in that seat over there, I decided to make Aliyah. And a few months ago, Ravarin was sitting right there the last time I spoke here. Um, I was kind of hoping it wouldn't be in here tonight. Roshul Sarabonim, Mori Chavrusi, Mordechai Friedman, Ravdani, of Tarragon, of Berman. Uh, and all tonight, we came to get a glimpse of Maureen of Rabbein Arablutinstein Zichrit Tzadik Levracha. Before I move to a uh, more formal Hespid, I just want to ask a favor uh, of the assembled Rabbanim, the true Talmidim of Rebbe. I want to ask that you seize this moment. Uh, the Ushami in Moed Katan at the end of Perak Gimel, Allah Hay says, Um Rabbi Ba, if Shirla Shiva below Regal, I will eat Shirla Shiva below Shabbos. The Ushami explaining why Shabbos doesn't interrupt Shiva brings Rabbi Bo, says that Shabbos inevitably falls during Shiva, so it could not possibly stop it. I heard this Yerushalmi first when I learned Ksuvus with Ivarin in 1990. It was part of a masterful three-part shir on the levels of Simcha and Avelus and how they interact and contradict each other. I needed it yesterday to simply help me understand why I could not stop, and it was acceptable to continue thinking and talking about Ravarin, his ethics, his Torah, all of Shabbos. So during Shabbos, I picked up a copy of an essay written by Dr. Chaim Salvejik, Rebbe's brother-in-law. The topic of the essay, as many of his, was about Rabbeinu Tam and his groundbreaking Torah work and the dialectic method as applied to all of Shas. As I thought about it, I think it's not far-fetched to say that Ravarin's masterful architecting of the conceptual framework of Shas and Rishonim and comprehensive structures of sugyas across Shas was equally as groundbreaking as Rabbeinu Tam and equally as masterful. No disrespect to Rabbeinu Tam, obviously. Like Rabbeinu Tam, Rebbe did not write much of it down during his lifetime. That task fell to Rabbeinu Tam's nephew, the Rear Rabbeinu Yitzchak, and to his Talmudim later, Balitosvos. They compiled and composed Rabbeinu Tam's groundbreaking work, and then it took a century for this intellectual revolution, intellectual revolutions, even Newtonian physics took a century, this revolution in Torah to form the new baseline for learning. As a Talmud of Rav Lichtenstein, one who was insufficiently learned to be a compiler and composer of Rebbe's approach, I really want to ask of you, beg of you, to please be the base medrash like the base medrash of the Ri, and take Rebbe's Torah and make it accessible to the next generation of Talmidim and Lamdanim. Some work has started, particularly by Rav Dani Wolf and others, but there is so much more to do. Rav Aaron's approach transformed the Olam of Limanat Torah. It encompassed and architected all six Masechtas and Shas comprehensively, and Tanakh. It is a brand new architecture of Torah. A new approach, it's a revolution on the level of Rabbeinu Tam, and will only be appreciated one century hence. This work falls on you to publish it and make it accessible, and we all ask of you to undertake it for the sake of our children and grandchildren who want to taste of Aaron's brilliance. The Mechaber and Simon Shimem Dalad, in describing how one gives a hesp, and I heard this has been talked about a bunch this week, Says when mitzvaso mitzvah gedol aspid alameis karoi when mitzvaso shiorim kol olomar alav darim shabrim esalev kedai laharvos bechiyol haskir shivcho vaotzur lahavlik b'shivcho yosher midai elamaskir midos tovos shabo mosifin byim tzas rakshelo yachvlik vechacham vechosid maskir lem chachmasa mechasidusam vechol amaskir mishlo hayabo klal shemosiv laki yosher midai mashayabo gorim ra laatzmo vilameis. It's a big mitzvah to give a hesped about someone who's passed away. I'll skip a bit and paraphrase. It's permitted to mention slightly more than what in reality were his good mitos, but don't exaggerate too much. One mentions the wisdom, knowledge, and righteousness of the Chacham and the Chassid. 
However, someone who mentions immediately that the person did not have or exaggerate too much causes ill to himself and to the deceased. The Taz right there brings you Roshami that says the deceased hears what you say as if it's in a dream. I am certain that Rebbe would not countenance any exaggeration, even in the slightest, because he was completely nishemes. I don't believe that Rebbe would paskin like this halacha in the Shulchan Aruch, and in particular not about himself, and therefore I ask Mechila from those here from Rebbe who may be hearing as if in a dream. I ask Mechila if I accidentally exaggerate a bit or get some details wrong. It's due to my bad memory and lackadaisical nature. Simply, I'm a mediocre Talmud who's fortunate enough to get to spend many hours with Ravaran. So I also asked Mechila if some of the stories I mentioned were not meant to be mentioned out loud. It's hard to know in retrospect what should have made, remained entirely confidential. And on that I asked Mechila as well. There are many greater Talmudim of Rav Aaron than myself. My father, Avimori, is here. was in Rav Aaron's here 50 years ago like Rav Bit. So I have nothing terribly to add on his Torah greatness. His mitos have been acclaimed as has the totality of his personality, it's frankly beyond my grasp. The Tzedakah and Chinuch instances that I witnessed numerous times have also been covered by many. The only thing I thought I could come up with was to tell some stories that maybe give a glimpse into how Rav Aaron thought about matters that mattered to Balabatim, like me, and I assume like most of his Tamidim. On the day of Rebbe Spetir, I wrote a blog post that contained five stories that I thought provided a window into his godless Sanefesh. For those who did not really know him, some of the readers turned out not even to be Jewish. I won't repeat those, but I will expand on one story. Those other stories are available online. On Chagat's Mut, my father reminded me of the first time I met Rebbe. I was a teenager, and I went to buy Arba Minim in Meir Sharm. Then the story came back to me. I came to visit Feretz, his Teretz Yisrael, and there at the stands was Ravaran picking out Hadassim. Like this. My father then remarked how quickly Ravaran picked up the Hadas and decided it was okay, never touching the leaves. He contrasted it to the people alongside of us, looking firmer, so to speak, who were pulling apart the Lulavim and Hadasim to check their kashras. I asked my father at the time if he was sure it was Rav Lichtenstein because he did not have a beard, and probably because he wasn't checking the Arbaminim violently like the others around us. In retrospect, I understand that scene entirely. Rebbe would not want to harm the merchandise of the sellers without buying it. That story reminded me of the first time I went to ask Rav Lichtenstein a question in Yeshiva. I came to the Gush because Rabbi Michael Heft relentlessly told me that I need to learn by Ravaran. There I was in Yeshiva with Ravaran sitting on the right corner of the base medrash, and other than Shir Kloli, I was learning nothing from him. I resolved that I needed to ask him a question, so I mustered the courage. Everyone talks about Ravaran's love. He was quite frightening to ask him a question. I mustered the courage and went over to ask him if I could use a tape-to-tape copier. It used to be at cassettes that you had to copy tape-to-tape, and someone wanted to make a copy of a music tape that I had. The answer he gave is the opening to one of the things I want to talk about tonight. Rebbe said, you bought it, you made a Kenyan, so they really can't tell you whether you can make a copy or not. Then he paused and continued, however, you are not going to get a medal for Kedoshim to you. I walked back to my seat a bit befuddled. I asked a halachic question and got a halachic answer with an ethical qualifier. I sat in my seat not entirely sure what to do. Anyone who knew Rebbe knew he was exceptionally fond of the parish of the Ramban al Torah. In this statement are echoes of the Ramban's famous admonition on this week's parasha, Shloye Novel Torah. 
This is a bit further, though. This is to be kadosh or ethical, above reproach, to be seen as above reproach as well, versus Torah. This was the Torah of our Rebbe. The halacha was the halacha, so he told it. Sometimes the kula, most often the chumrah. And then there were your ethics. In modern terms, it was about what would people say about you at your hespid, your eulogy, not as New York Times columnist David Brooks has written so eloquently what they say about you on your resume. The hespid's more important. I actually think that the core meter here is purposefulness in what we do. I'm going to string together a bunch of stories that took place over 20 plus years that highlight this purposefulness for Balabatin, in particular an English-speaking crowd. It's no secret to anyone here that Rav Lichtenstein could have had a successful career as a Rosh Hashiva in NYU and be the defining Gadol Agudor of America. He was the unquestioned heir to the rub and the throne, but he trailblazed the path for many of us here, and we owe debt of Hakarat HaTov to him for that. He changed the Olam HaTorah and religious and ethical thought and the social rubrics of Eretz Yisrael from here. The first story takes place at the end of Zman Chorif in 1991, when I was in my second year of yeshiva. There was a press conference, as Ravdani referenced, in English. One American Talmud asked Rebbe the following question. What if I feel I'll be more successful in America in Chinuch, medicine or business, and can contribute more there than if I move to Israel? Rebbe's response still rings in my head, and I repeat it to my children often. He said, in America... If you work for General Electric, so you work for General Electric. In Israel, if you work for Tadiran, so you work for Klal Yisrael. Purposefulness on behalf of Klal Yisrael, on behalf of the future of Klal Yisrael. Rebbe took his talents here to work on behalf of Am Yisrael. As an aside, in that same press conference, he said something that also would highlight his work ethic. I paraphrase, more or less. But he said, people talk about workaholism and alcoholism in the same way. He said, they're not the same. One is a disease and the other is a commandment. In America, if you work for General Electric, so you work for General Electric. In Israel, if you work for Tadiran, you work for Klal Yisrael. A few months later, I was getting ready to leave Yeshiva sometime in Tammuz. Like everyone else, I was invited for a personal chat with Rav Lichtenstein, which frankly was terrifying. He asked me what I planned to do after Yeshiva and then YU. I told him I'd probably go into business of some sort when I moved to Israel, which I had decided a few months earlier in that seat at the suggestion of Rav Amitam. Rebbe retorted, but what about Chinuch? I responded that I did not think I was cut out for it. He repeated, so what about Chinuch? <laughs> I was sure he had heard my answer, so I said, I don't think I will be good at it. This went on for about five minutes that felt like an absolute eternity. At the end he said, think about it. I thought I was doing my bit by coming to Israel and going into business to work on behalf of Klai Yisrael, like Rebbe had said a few months earlier. When you work for Tad Yiran, you work for Klai Yisrael. Now he was pushing me to Chinuch. In retrospect, I think, maybe I hope, he understood that I was not going to be good at Chinuch, but was telling me what the priorities were in a professional life and what we should aspire to. Chinuch above all. It was critical to set an example like he did in everything we do. He was emphasizing how critical it was to serve Klai Yisrael. That was our purpose. The next story highlights it further. Some eight years ago, after Rebbe moved to Alonshfoot, I was being nudged to take a position in public service. Truthfully, I wasn't that interested, but thought I should be because it was a chance to serve Klal Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael, and perhaps be impactful in education. I'm telling personal stories, I hope it's okay. It still rang in my ears, that conversation we had as I was leaving Yeshiva, and maybe I hadn't sufficiently taken his advice. I went to go talk to Ravarn about it, to work through the pros and cons. As you all know, he wasn't a Chassid Rebbe, nor was I looking for one. 
But he had the widest vision of possibilities of anyone I knew. He asked me why I wanted to do it. I stuttered. I told him I felt it was shlichus for Kal Yisrael. And that was what we were educated to do both at home and in yeshiva. It was a long conversation. It ended with Ravaran telling me that he, was not con- he has not convinced himself that being in the public light or public service is more impactful than being in business or being a Rebbe. You can set an example by doing the right thing in any profession provided one was doing it for absolutely the right reasons. The question of serving Claudius well is not an objective totem pole of values, he said, but rather using your talents and place to impact Claudius well for the better and to be Maiv Shem Shemaim on anyone you come in contact with. Anyone who ever met Rebbe knows he was Maiv Shem Shemaim on everyone. Even people in Tel Aviv who I interact with say, Oh, you're Tamar of Avar and Ravamital? It's terrific. We each have a talent for something, a tafkid. We might even be good at it. How we conduct ourselves in that position, what we prioritize, how authentic we are day to day, how we use it for positive influence, is always important. It's a tall order, and next to Ravarin, I think we all feel inadequate. I know I did. But we all aspire to aspire and need to keep aspiring. I wonder who will do that now. Who will remind us? The second set of personal stories relates to Talmud Torah for Balabatim. When I left that meeting 24 years ago in Yeshiva, one of the other things Rebbe told me, he said, don't forget to be Kovea Itim all the time. Although I absorbed that discipline at home from my father, it was a useful reminder that rang in my head. For years I had a morning Seder Biyun and went to Rebbe Shirin Gruskola on Tuesday nights. As my schedule became busier, it was getting much harder to do that. This happened right around the time that the new Dafyomi cycle was starting. Embarrassed that my Iyun time was dwindling, I went to ask Rebbe if he thought Dafyomi was a good idea. We were walking to his house from the Shtiblach in Katamon after Shacharis. He said, the answer is long, but we only have a few blocks. So I will tell you that everyone should see all of Shas at least once in their life. I could not tell if that was a yes or a no, and whether our Rebbe, the mythological builder of Sugyas, thought that Dafyomi was actually called seeing Shas. I understood that he was telling me to make my own decision, but to understand that the goal was really to see Shas, absorb it for future learning, and not to say you completed the cycle or because you were lazy. I was at Rebbe's house one Purim. For those who were lucky to be in Yeshiva, remember, remember Rebbe's Purim shir here, you know he had a wry sense of humor, used to its fullest to deliver Musar on Purim. At his house that Purim afternoon, he was not being humorous. I really want you to hear this story, it's unbelievable. At one point in front of about 25 people, some Tamidim, some Balabatim, he said, I'm jealous of the learning of Balabatim. There was stunned silence in the room. He continued, when I learn Torah, it is for my profession. When a Balabas learns Torah, it's the Shema. I thought I needed to get my ears cleaned. Ravaran was questioning his own motivations of Torah learning and putting them below that of a Balabas. I discussed it with him afterwards on a different occasion, asking if he meant what I had heard. He told me that one always must question his motivations whenever he does. And now I paraphrase. A successful businessman must ask if he's in it for the money. A professional athlete must ask if he's in it for the fame. And a mechanic must ask if he's really learning lishma. It tied together with another story he told that Purim day. It was at the time that Michael Jordan hung up his basketball sneakers and decided to play professional baseball, but started way down in the minor leagues. Rav said that day it was Purim that he was envious of Michael Jordan who started at the bottom of baseball to work his way back to the top of another challenge. He would go through the process from beginning to end and challenge himself. This was Ravarn. He always checked the purity of his own motives and without asking, 
made sure that we were all self-honest as well. I hesitate to tell the story. I hope I'm not betraying confidences. But I, I was once sent by Rav Amital to discuss a sensitive yeshiva matter with Ravarn. I definitely asked Rav Lichtenstein the question, and he lowered his head in thought. After a very long pregnant pause, he told me that he thought about his motivations on the topic and believes they're okay, pure, and his analysis is correct. I went back to Rav Amital, and he said the following. If Rav Aaron said that his motivations are so, you can take it as a fact. Zeuvda. Who will ask us what our motivations really are? What is the purpose and purposefulness in everything we do? Who will we look at as an example and be able to say to ourselves that what we did was pure in intent? In my blog post, I told the story that I witnessed happen many times in Revolutionary House, and I tell the story tonight because something happened last night out of the blue. Collectors would come to the door and ask Rebbe for tzedakah. As Rebbe's son Shai told me at the Shiva, there was a period of over two to three years where Rebbe could not learn at night because the doorbell kept ringing. Shai also said that one cannot even tell the stories of his father's tzedakah because nobody will believe them, despite that I'm going to try because I witnessed them. Often when I walk Rebbe home from the Shtiblach in Katamor and I watched how collectors would trail him home to ask for money and then abusively ask for more. Rebbe never got angry or agitated. A few years ago in Alonshwood, I was sitting with Rebbe and the doorbell rang. He asked me to get the door, which in itself was a chiddish. At the door was a young man asking for tzedakah and holding a letter from some rub. I told Rebbe and he got up to come to the door. It was a chassan who needed money for his wedding and then his income thereafter. Rebbe asked the young man what he was doing with himself. He said, I'm an avrech kolil. Proudly, he said it. Rebbe calmly suggested maybe he wanted to learn a profession so he could earn a living. It was lost on the young man who somewhat impatiently asked for tzedakah. You know, Ravarin said, in today's world, without a profession and education, you cannot support your wife and family. You do plan to have a family. Of course, said the young man, it's a mitzvah. Rav Lichtenstein responded, so maybe you should go learn a profession. Mikzoah. So you, can support, so you can support your family. The young man responded with some measure of chutzpah that the G'daylim and the Rabbanim say, the Yenons are in terror all the time, and Hashem will help with the Parnassah. At that point, Rav Lichtenstein took out a bill from his pocket and gave it to the young man. Years earlier, I asked him why he gives to these people he knows are taking advantage of him, and to others that are doing no istadlus. I suggested perhaps he was encouraging their delinquency. Rebbe told me that he could not sleep at night with the possibility that someone else was going to sleep hungry or that perhaps he had misjudged them. When Rebbe said in his hesped he wants him to calm himself to get stuck more happily, the only thing I could think about was that experience. How many times do collectors nag us in shul or knock at the door? What's my response? What do I feel at night when I go to sleep? Rebbe was nagged more than I have ever been and more important things to do with his time than I did, yet how did I respond? So last night at 10.15, there's a knock on my door. I'd given this person stuck right before Pesach and he was back. I thought about Rebbe. After asking more what he was doing to earn a living, I told him that since this week was the Shiva for Rebbe Lichtenstein, I was going to give him again. How could I not? Listen to this story. The collector said to me, Armin Lichtenstein? He said, I used to collect from him when he lived down the block, down there around the corner. He always gave me, and he was always so nice. Tears began to well in my eyes. He then said to me, I heard he died... And there were hespedim on the radio, so I listened. I had no idea that he was a gadol in Torah. You know, he didn't look like one. And what hespedim from his children? They're also learned, Lamdanim. He continued, I wanted to go to the Kfura because he gave me tzedakah, but I didn't make it. He asked me if I knew Rav Aaron. 
I said, yes, I was a Talmud, and he put out his hand. Who will serve as a role model of this patience and understanding? Who's not sleeping at night because people are hungry? I want to talk for a few minutes at Chinuch at home. I hope I'm not taking too much time. Much was said at the Levi about Rebbe's Imuna Pshuta. This was true. But Ravaran dealt with fundamental issues of Imuna. There's a personal story. At age 11 or 12, one of my sons had serious questions in Imuna. They would ask me before going to sleep. I asked his Rishus to tell the story. For many nights, I tried to duck the questions, hoping they would go away. They didn't. I then tried to provide simple answers, but the questions kept coming. At this point, after about a week, I decided I need to call talk to Ravaran. I turned up in Alon Shvut as soon as he would see me. I told Ravaran my son's questions and that they were persistent and asked for his counsel. He asked me what I had responded. I told him I tried to duck him for a few nights, offered a simple answer, which I shared with him. His disappointed face made me shrink in my seat. He said, and I paraphrase, You know, those are very good questions, Ravdani referenced this. Your son is asking. Obviously, you've thought about them before. I know that I have. Rebbe continued, There are questions that every thinking person with a sense of honesty probably asks. Ultimately, if you do not have those questions, it's hard to call you a mamin. I ultimately resolve those questions with my amuna, but it does not mean they're not good questions. You need to answer them with complexity and encourage them to ask the questions. When a child asks good questions, they deserve good answers, or at least a complex discussion of it with them, irrespective of their age. He then finished with something to the effect that everything was known, it would not be called a muna. This is not the end of the story. Every year, Rebbe would ask me how my son was doing, whether he was asking questions or not. About 18 months ago, he asked me if he could meet with my son now that he's about 18. It's six years after I asked and had the first discussion. I have no idea how he remembered, but I wonder who's going to answer complex questions with complexity. I'll finish with one story that Rebbe might tell us about him today. It's in line with what Rebbe said at the Levaya. I was once actually often deeply troubled by the running of people to Uman for Shashan and the general tendency to go to graves and daven there. I had friends who were going to Uman. They were deeply religious people and not people looking for cheap religious thrills. But it troubled me halachically, ashkafically, but educationally even more so. No Rabbanim had or were willing to come out and talk about it, and I was troubled. I went to Rebbe and asked him what he'd do, and the breaking point was someone who came to my door and asked me for money because he didn't have enough money to go to Uman for Rosh Hashanah. Rebbe did not opine on the general machlokis of Kivrei Tzadikin, but this is what he did say. He said, if I asked the average person where in Shas is the Ishtar of Dorish al-Mason, you might say Sanhedrin, Avazor, Orios, most people have no idea. Most people have no idea, he continued, that Dorish al-Mason is a love like Achilles Chelev. We then continued the discussion for 30 more minutes, the upshot of which is what I want to leave myself with. Chazal determined the time period of Avelus. The Ramam says, that you don't put a nefesh on the kever of tzaddikim, ki divreim heim zichronam. The Israel of Dorish al has the effect of enabling these ideas to pass on and be built on. If you cling to the person or his grave, those ideas go to the grave with that person. If we can build, enhance, and embody those ideas and ideals ourselves, then we stand a chance of creating a better world even after the individual's histalkus. Rebbe and Rav Amital with him invested love, thought, and attention to the detail and attention to personal issues, and it was boundless. That created our bunt. It also created awe and fear. What was sui generis about Rebbe was his authenticity and humanity that created a love that you don't often find between a Rebbe and Talmud. All you needed to do was see the countless Talmudim who tore Kriya at the Levaya. That's the Kriya of a son, not a Rebbe, not a Talmud. 
My father told me that one of the family members remarked to him at the Shiva, the Ravar was not particularly charismatic, which made the number of people attending his astounding. He wasn't charismatic in the conventional sense. He was something far more rare and unusual in this day and age. He was completely authentic. In the era of social media, a star and charismatic Rabbanim and other fleeting fame, Ravaran had the cat- characters and qualities that engender love and lasting admiration, authenticity, and impeccable integrity. As tonight is the end of Shiva, the question I'm asking myself is what do my limited abilities of Rabbanim's ideals, ideas, parenting, Hanagos actions, and Sitkas will I build upon, will we build upon? We live in a very complex world that's only getting more complex. Most people are tending towards simplicity, but we have a heritage of complexity. We must make sure to learn Torah Lishma, improve our personal conduct, and ask ourselves, are we authentic? Most importantly, wherever I go, I want to make sure that someone says, he was a Talmud of Ravaran. Humi Talmudav Shalavaran. He was my Shem Shemayim on everyone. It's a tall task and the bar is high, but maybe if we commit to do it together, we can. We must. Rebbe's legacy is now in our hands. And he will tell us to get working on it purposefully, tirelessly, constantly and immediately. Bezrat Hashem nizkeliyos mitamidov shalarun. Tejnish mosot shor